Welcome to the Unified Brand Podcast, brought to you by Elements Brand Management, a weekly brand building and brand strategy podcast to help you unlock your brand's potential, stand out from the competition, and create impact. So today we're joined by Stephen Hurahan, brand strategist, agency owner, podcast host, and founder of Brand Master Academy. Great to have you on the Unified Brand Podcast, Stephen. It'd be good to learn more about yourself and what you do. Beautiful. Thank you for having me, Chris. Looking forward to the chat. Cool. Good stuff. Yeah. So you can tell us a little bit more about how you got into branding, how you started getting into strategy and sort of the history of uh, Brand Master Academy. Yeah. So it goes way back. It's a big story, but I won't drag it on. I'll do the nice and condensed version. My background's actually in finance. So my traditional education is in economics and finance. And I ended up, you know, in the stock market in Australia. I'm actually from Ireland, but I I went over to Australia as a 20-year-old backpacker. And uh, yeah, kind of fell into the finance industry and really kind of studied in that space. And I was an institutional investor advisor working in stock and options. So I had a complete 360 in terms of a career change on the back of the GFC. And, you know, I I asked myself kind of, what do I want to do back then? And I loved design, specifically brand design. So that's where I headed. And uh, I started to climb the traditional kind of agency ladder, working my way up as a junior and a midway designer and and senior. And um, I had a lot of kind of side project on the side. I had a lot of referrals coming through to me. So I went on my own as a freelancer and, you know, I was a couple of years in and I, I thought things were going pretty well. But then I noticed the change in the market. You had Odesk coming out, you had freelancer.com and price that people were prepared to pay for my design work was rapidly plummeting. So I kind of asked myself the question, you know, how can I differentiate myself? And I knew nothing about brand strategy and I had next to nothing in terms of a marketing strategy to generate leads or anything like that. But just asking that question, how can I differentiate myself? It opened up the term differentiation and positioning. And then that opened up brand strategy. And it it was just a door that opened another door that opened another door. And I realized there was this whole world of branding that I did not know about. And I considered myself a branding expert as far as the visuals were concerned. So, you know, through that whole process, I realized that it wasn't just me who didn't know about this stuff. All of my clients I was dealing with didn't know about this stuff. And this was fundamental stuff. This was, you know, 101. Who is your target market? How are you going to position your value? How are you different from your competitors? You know, very, very important stuff. You know, that kind of led me to offering strategy services and building a framework around those services that I continue to improve on. And I realized more and more people that I was speaking to, the bigger this education gap was. And I realized a lot of my colleagues, people in the space were really hungry for this information. So I started to put out content and I got better at putting that content out there. And I realized that, you know, there was a gap in the market for someone teaching this stuff on a consistent basis where the content is good, the content is quality, and people can really start to fill that education gap. So that's where Brandmaster Academy came about. We have flagship programs and tools now to help professional brand builders, such as designers and copywriters and social media marketers to start looking at the work that they do in a more strategic light so that they can provide services to their clients that goes beyond execution and goes more into strategy, providing them a more holistic service. So that's the short version. Wow, cool. Yeah, it's an interesting story going from finance, switching into into design and the brand side of things. But um, yeah, I've got to say, it's one of the most, if not the most comprehensive collection of tools 
frameworks, methodologies, and your teaching style is really familiar, it's really approachable, it's really easy to take on board, even though the strategies and the things you're talking about is a big thing, so you break it down in such a great way. So I would definitely recommend the program. It's awesome. I always enjoy when I get that compliment because that is something that I kind of take a bit of pride in because at the end of the day, when it comes to branding, our job is to simplify the complicated. And that's what we do for both the client to clarify, you know, what it is that they're trying to do and how they want their brand to be seen in the market and then clarifying the message for the audience out there so that they understand the brand. So yeah, it really is about making the complicated simple. And as brand builders, that's our job. I love that. There's that saying about great design. I mean, obviously it applies to strategy as well, like you said, but great design is not when you can no longer add, it's when you can no longer take anything away. And I think, yeah, you're bang on with the kind of simplicity side of things. And Antoine Saint-Exprit, I think that was, maybe, I'm not sure. Oh, right. I didn't even know where the quote was from, actually. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I love that one. But yeah, I always think about that kind of uh, whenever I'm doing any sort of design work and things like that. But one of the things that I really love about your work is you take a human approach to branding as well. You talk about the human side and the personality a lot. And that's something that I really feel that a lot of businesses potentially and a lot of uh, creatives as well don't fully embrace or understand could you sort of go into that a little bit more about the human side and why it's important yeah absolutely we've learned a lot in the last 20 years with neuroscience and kind of how the brain works but more from an inherent understanding yes we can learn all of this stuff from science but we also have this inherent understanding of the connections that we make with people we might not be able to articulate those connections or to really explain why we make connections in a certain way. But one thing is for certain, we are drawn to certain types of people and we're repelled by certain types of people. And what draws us in are the human aspects of their personality. So, you know, how do they speak? How do they dress? How do they look? You know, what signals are they sending out into the world? Um, am I vibing with those signals? Are those signals telling me that this is somebody who I would want in my life or somebody who I wouldn't want in my life? And again, a lot of this stuff is in our DNA. It's inherent and it's what has kept us alive for generations. So, you know, we tend to trust those instincts and brand builders who embrace that philosophy, I call it the human brand philosophy and that the brand that you're building is not a corporate entity. It's a human entity because you're trying to connect with another human. And the more human you can make your brand feel, the more likely that group of people, that target audience will be attracted to who you are and what you do because you know who they are already through your research. You know what they want. You know the type of people that they are and you know what they're attracted to. So if you're able to really embrace it, if you're really able to understand that and embrace it, and then go into the brand building process with the idea that you are building a human entity, then you're going to find the answers to your questions a lot easier because you can always fall back on that. Because as I said, a lot of this stuff that we know, we can't explain why we know it because it's inherent, it's in our DNA. And if you look at modern brands today, you know, you can go through all of the elements that they have and you can look at them and you can say, well, this is a human entity. You know, brands have a purpose. We have a purpose. Brands have a vision. We have a vision. They have, you know, they have values. They have a value that they bring to the market. They have a personality. They have attributes that they show up with. They have 
you know, a style and a look and a feel and a tone of voice and a belief, you know, all of these descriptions that we use for these elements that we have to build brands, they're all human. And that's not a coincidence. So, you know, I'm very much of a believer that if you are able to make your brand as human as possible, you know, where it feels authentic, it feels like there's a real person behind there, you know, you're not putting on a facade and trying to be completely perfect, you know, you're showing up as this real entity, then you're far more likely to make connections with the people that you're trying to connect with when compared to your competitors who are still lost in the past and they're still going out there with corporate tones, speaking like a business, you're going to stand out every day. So, I mean, that is just one area that you can differentiate in the marketplace is just by adopting that human brand philosophy and making sure that the brand you build is as relatable as possible. Yeah. So do you think, I mean, it's been through social media and the kind of the way that we've got closer to brands over the years that has really sped that forward, that connection or that craving for a human brand? Because it is, you do seek out brands where you connect with them on some level, you share values with them, or they have a purpose that you feel aligned to. Is that something you feel that it's social media and the kind of change in, in that regard? I think it's been very much an organic approach, but the digital transformation first and foremost and then the birth of social media after that and the growing power of the consumer through social media and through those that collective voice is where a lot of this has come from so to take us back to let's say the 80s and the early 90s you know brands typically said and did what they pleased because they had very little repercussions for the messages that they put out there for the decisions and the actions that they took because every person was an individual they had no collective voice they had no platform of course there were unhappy customers out there but you know they didn't have a platform to voice that opinion they didn't have somebody to go to to say hey this is what i think about the brand and even if they did you know that voice was so small that there was no impact on the back of that. You know, you fast forward then to the digital transformation and then, you know, you have everybody going online and it first started with chat rooms, you know, chat rooms started up with, you know, talking about absolutely everything, just as any kind of forums would be today. And that's where we started to see these gatherings about, you know, brands that were doing things that were unethical and that then took to social media where it was a bigger platform and, you know, messages and conversations became viral and algorithms started to feed these messages to people because of the engagement. And then all of a sudden, brands and brand managers started to look or where attention was brought to them that, you know, these conversations are going on. Are we going to ignore this or should we do something about it? So that was kind of the early 2000s when, you know, 2003, four, five, when brands first started to come out and address issues that people had in relation to, you know, brand activities, you know, Nestle using palm oil, for example, nobody ever had a voice to kind of raise that conversation and to put it to Nestle that this is not acceptable. And we as a collective are going to start speaking with our wallets if you don't make these changes. So that was kind of groundbreaking at the time. But then that has now become the norm. And when brands started to go to the social channels and engage with customers, you know, they kind of fumbled about a bit. They didn't really know how to do it. They, 
you know, you would have one customer service or social media support agent speaking this way and another one speaking that way. And there was no kind of collective personality. So that's when brands started to get serious. Okay, if we're going to do this, you know, then we need a collective voice. How are we going to show up? How are we going to sound? And it has really kind of fast tracked this transformation to what we see today, where brands are human entities engaging with other humans and being very conscious and aware of the fact that there are people on the other side with opinions. And a lot of them have big opinions and a lot of them have a lot of people listening and a lot of them are influential. And when you get them all together, then, you know, things can go south pretty quickly if you don't treat every individual like a person. And that's what we're seeing today. And that's why having a brand that is human and that feels like a human, that feels relatable, it's so much more beneficial today to make those human connections. And as consumers, because we're all consumers as well, that's what we all feel. We tend to gravitate towards a brand who we can get on the phone to and speak to rather than those who kind of distance themselves and make themselves inaccessible or speak to us as a corporate entity. So in answer to your question, 100% social media, the transformation, the digital transformation, that is all fast track that into the human brand world that we're in today. Yeah, I love examples of uh, when you see brands talking to their customers on social media, like brands like Wendy's or something where they've got that kind of that fun personality and also brands engaging like Specsavers do it quite a lot with their sort of engaging in meme culture almost like tapping into that area as well and I think it's great to see when you have that conversation back and forth and it's consistent like you said one of the things that you want it to be is consistent you don't want to break that voice or miscommunicate that brand so from a human aspect of developing brands one of the things that I think I first um, interacted with your content on was archetypes brand archetypes and it's one of the things that you're one of the foremost in with the archetype side of things and how you present them and how you've given that information across. So could you sort of go into a little bit more about archetypes, how you can use them, how you can create a mix for your brand and how that fits into the human part of brand strategy? Yeah. So for those who don't know what archetypes are, they're a collection of 12 personalities and they were created by a psychiatrist called Carl Jung back in the early 1900s. And he created these personalities and he wasn't the first to speak about this idea of this collection of personalities that we all inherently know. There was, you know, there was signs of it back in Greek mythology, but essentially these are 12 personalities that we all instinctively know, you know, when we see these personalities and the collection of attributes that make up these personalities, we're kind of like, oh, you know, I know that person, that person is familiar. So an example of this would be the ruler. The ruler is craves power. They crave control. They're authoritative. You know, they like the finer things in life. You know, that kind of dominant personality. You know, when we list these attributes, you could probably think of somebody in your life who might fit that description. And then, you know, another example would be the outlaw, you know, the rebel, the person who is a nonconformist. They go against the rules. They like to get into trouble. You know, they stick the middle finger to the man. They don't want to be part of the societal norms. You know, again, we could probably think of somebody who we know within our circle that we could assign to that personality. Now, the framework itself, the archetypes framework, is really just a starting point. So I like to think of the framework as a bit of a compass. So, you know, when we do our due diligence and we, we look at who we're trying to speak to, you know, the role that we want to play, you might see this compass point in a certain direction and that will point to one of the archetypes. Now, 
Although the rebel archetype or the outlaw archetype has these rebellious traits and this non-conformist attitude, you know, as we head off in that general direction, it opens up. There's not a one-dimensional personality out there where everybody picks the outlaw archetype and everybody has the same personality. It's just like people, you know, everybody's personality is different and there are little variations or distinctions in one personality from, from the next. So the archetypes framework is really just a guide to, you know, the direction you want to head in to create your personality. And once you've done that, once you've decided, okay, this is the dominant archetype that I want to use in my personality. But there are also some traits over here of, let's say, the creator archetype or the sage archetype. I think these are very, very important because I want to play this role as a brand and I want to communicate with my audience who are attracted to these traits. So I'm going to combine the two of those. And from that point, you say, OK, well, I'm starting with a foundation of five, six, seven traits here. How can we use these traits within our personality to influence our tone of voice, to influence our language, to influence our brand identity? Because, you know, any designer out there will tell you that when it comes to communicating visually, we fall back on attributes. Well, this looks or feels like this. And we use attributes to describe the look and feel of something. And the same is for how something sounds. So, you know, really making sure that we have considered who the audience is and the type of personality that they are, that we have considered the role that we want to play as a brand in their lives, and then use those attributes as a starting point to develop out a comprehensive personality that feels real. So that's how I've used archetypes and that's how I continue to use archetypes. And some people have you know, a give or take relationship with archetypes. I, I've heard some people in the industry dismiss them as fluff, but I feel that people who do that really misunderstand them. We're not saying that archetypes are the be all and end all. We're not saying that our brand is a hero and we have to wear a cape. No, we're using this as a guide to define a personality that's going to feel real to our audience so that when we go out there and put out messages into the market, we have a guide for consistency in how we look and how we sound so that we are consistent. And that's at the end of the day, how you build a brand that people trust is through that consistency. Yeah, absolutely. I think I found as well that you can use them quite effectively sometimes with content as well. So the types of content you create and the types of themes and things that you weave into content or your marketing strategy can be greatly benefited from using archetypes and having that, like you said, that compass, that gauge to set you off in that journey and what you're trying to get across. Yeah, and I found another way that they're very, very helpful is when it comes to client interactions or client workshops. Branding is a very fluffy discipline and trying to get people to relate to what you're saying can sometimes be difficult. But when you bring archetypes into it, and you know, remember archetypes, we instinctively know. So your clients know who these archetypes are, but when you relate those archetypes to celebrities or to movies or to characters. I had a student actually tell me that on his first strategy, he had a very prestigious law firm as a client. And he went from charging $4,000 for his visual design services to $60,000 for his very first strategy. And he went into a session with four, five, six executives in a law firm to try and get them to understand brand. And when he came across archetypes and he related 
the ruler archetype to Don Corleone from The Godfather, that's when you know the CEO kind of caught on to that and went from somebody who was relatively close to somebody who just opened up like a flat because he could suddenly relate. And at the end of the day, that is what we're trying to do as professional brand builders. We are trying to make the complicated seem simple and relatable, and archetypes are a great way to do that. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of branding itself, what are some of the misconceptions that you see most often around branding and brand development? Yeah, well, the most obvious one is that a brand is something visual. And this is probably the most broad-based misconception out there. I've experienced it a lot firsthand with clients. And there is a reason for this, in my opinion. And the reason, going back to the digital transformation, all of a sudden we had this environment where it was easy to go online. You know, it was easy all of a sudden to offer your services. It was easy to build a business. And you had this environment just suddenly created where you had all of these entrepreneurs not knowing how to build a business or build a brand coming to the market. And you had all of these tacticians, the likes of designers and copywriters coming into the market and putting their hand up as branding professionals or branding experts without really having this huge this huge fundamental piece, which is strategy to build that brand. So it kind of morphed into this idea that a brand was a logo, certainly from an entrepreneur's perspective, they believed that, you know, my next step is my brand. You know, I have my designer ready to go to build my brand. I've got a logo now, I've got a website, I've got a brand. Yet they didn't have a defined target market. They didn't target a segment within the market. They didn't have a position that they wanted to take or a reason to give their audience to choose them over their competitors. They had no personality or attributes. They had no tone of voice or language. They had no message. They had no stories. These are fundamental elements of building a brand that have been missed for so long. And that education gap is still there. I can see that it is closing slowly with influencers, the likes of Gary Vaynerchuk and even Richard Branson talking about how important brand is. And entrepreneurs starting to realize, okay, uh, I think when we talk about brand, it's more than a logo here. So that is starting to close. But that is definitely the biggest misconception I see time and again, is that a brand is a logo. When you have your logo, you have your brand. No, you don't. The logo, the visuals, they represent about 10% of what a brand is. And I like to use the iceberg analogy. Above the surface is the brand you see. Below the surface is where the real work is done in terms of building that brand. There is so much more below the surface. And when entrepreneurs start to understand that as they are doing more and more, they start to ask bigger questions and they go out in search of strategists that can help them to answer those questions. So I think we're in a transition period again now where entrepreneurs are more clued in than they were, say, 10, 15 years ago, and they are going into the market knowing that they have bigger questions to answer that a logo and visuals are not going to be the answer that they're looking for. So that 100% is the biggest misconception that still exists today. One of the questions I was going to ask, which I thought was um, probably a bit later on I was going to ask, but actually it's perfect time now to ask it, is with the kind of adoption now of some of like things like OpenAI and ChatGPT and things like this, where you've got AI coming in to help us with tools and ways to produce content and things like that. How do you see that, one, the future of branding with that and obviously things like the metaverse, but two, ideas around using AI with regards to branding? Because I've tried a few things with ChatGPT and 
it's great for certain things, but it doesn't actually get tone of voice or the personality or any of that. It, it's hard for that to establish that in the content. So what are your thoughts on that? I would be lying if I said I know exactly where things going, where things are going with this. But, you know, the signs are pretty obvious. We are early in this technology and, you know, with any technology, it's not perfect when it starts off, but then it starts to grow legs and starts to learn. You know, I don't think we're too many years off of being able to plug into AI the attributes and the tone of voice that we want, as well as the, you know, the messages that we're trying to send out there. I think before, you know, even when that comes about, I still think that there is going to be a need for the human to be at ground zero of the brand to really define and understand who the audience is to define a position in the marketplace and then to really develop that personality and the traits that will be used to connect with the audience before then feeding that into any kind of AI. I certainly don't think it's a tool that can be used effectively at the moment to the level where I think brands should be communicating with consistency and the right tone of voice. I think it would be too early to rely on that technology at this point, but I do see it as being part of the future as we move forward with pretty much any form of communication of AI being some part of that and playing a growing part in that. But again, as I said, I feel that, you know, having the human understanding of the business that we're trying to connect with another human, the human that we're trying to connect with, the creative and strategic nous to define a position in the market and then build a brand around that. I think, you know, we're some way off artificial intelligence being able to do that. And Yeah, so more of a facilitator for once you have that strategy in place for then helping you to produce some of the messages and content kind of at scale kind of thing. Absolutely. Cool. So in terms of brands that you've worked with or brands that you've seen, what are some that, you, that really stand out to you that you love to sort of engage with and that you've seen recently? I mean, one that I fall back to time and again, and, you know, not because I like the category or I like the product or, but because of what they have been able to create as a perception in the market is Red Bull. The reason that I love Red Bull so much is because of what they actually sell which is basically an energy drink. And they don't have a big brand portfolio of products. They just have this drink. And then the perception they've been able to create in the market through their branding marketing machine, it's just phenomenal. They've created this image in the market where they own the word adrenaline and extreme, and they have aligned themselves. And really the big word that I use when it comes to Red Bull is associations. Because you know when it comes to brand building, essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to paint a picture in the mind of the audience about what we should mean. Now, at the end of the day, it will be the audience who positions our brand in their mind. We don't have a say in that. That's entirely up to them. What we do have a say in is the messages that we put out there into the market, the associations that we can create so that in the hope that the receiving audience will be able to take those messages and take those associations to be able to create this image in their mind and assign us or align us 
to those associations. And that is what Red Bull has done ingeniously is they've been able to align themselves with all these extreme sports. And again, I don't buy the product. I don't drink the product. But when I think of Red Bull, you know, they inspire me as a brand with the connections that they've made, the associations that they've made, because it's such a disconnect from a soft drink. Do you know what I mean? If they were selling products that were about extreme sports, if they were, you know, if, if they were selling extreme sports where, for example, it would make more sense, this alignment, but to be so bold to go out there and to own this space as a soft drink is, you know, it really just illustrates the power of brand. And when you are crystal clear on the image that you want to create in the market, the perception that you want to have, the associations that you want to have, then, you know, anything is possible. If a brand like Red Bull can create an image like that, when the only product they have is a soft drink, then it just goes to show that anything's possible. So I love what Red Bull is doing. Another brand that I really love is Patagonia. Patagonia is kind of the modern brand that is leading through its actions. You know, it's becoming a representative of their people. And I think that's what we're finding now. And that's what we will find in the coming years. Brands become representatives of their people, of their tribes. Because when we look at politics, for example, you know, in the States, you've got the Republicans and the Democrats. And really, when people want change, they vote for, you know, the politician who they believe can bring change in. And then that's funneled down into option A or option B. And really, if there is something that they want to see change, you know, rarely does it happen through that avenue. But what we're seeing now when it comes to brands are tribes aligning themselves with brands who believe what they believe and who voice their collective opinion and who have big clout. You know, they have big clout in the marketplace. Some of them have big clout when it comes to politics as well. So I really feel that this is the kind of birth of the new age brand where they become representatives of the people to replace the likes of politicians and religious leaders as the catalyst for change in the future. And yeah, so, and there are a few others out there doing that as well. Dove is another shining a light on the self-esteem of women. Of course, there's a lot of brand washing going on out there where brands are trying to jump on, on anything and use it as leverage, but we're pretty clued in as consumers and we can smell that a mile away now. And we're actually getting better at that. So, and again, this comes back to the human brand philosophy when it comes to people as well there are people who are authentic and we're like, you know, they're such a nice person. Like, I, I want to see that person again. You know, they talk to you, they ask you questions. They're really interested in who you are. They're not all about themselves. They're not trying to big it up and playing a big game. And, you know, they're the people who were drawn to and were repelled away from. And as I said, the more and more the human philosophy of branding comes out, the more we're able to kind of see that in brands, you know, who are the ones that you know, are talking the talk and who are the ones that are actually walking the walk. That's what I'm seeing at brands today. They're becoming representatives of the people and the tribes are gravitating towards the brands who they want to represent or who they feel a sense of connection to. Yeah, it's interesting. So I don't always think it has to be, um, like you said there, I think it, those tribes, I think some people, when they try and do something, like you said, with the greenwashing or something or brandwashing, they try to tackle something so big, they think it's got to be a huge cause or a huge thing they're tackling. Whereas I think Sometimes businesses can benefit from just addressing something that's in their industry or in their particular sphere rather than trying to have something that's too large for them. And I think when you were talking then, I was thinking about obviously like Dollar Shave Club, almost like 
becoming the representative for a group of people attacking an established kind of industry that's already there. And there's one recently I've seen called Dr. Squatch, and they do a similar kind of thing. It's almost against the established industry of washing products, essentially soaps and things like that with natural ingredients. It's really interesting how that's coming about. And you see that as something that can be done at all levels of business, or do you think it is just the big business that can really leverage that? That's all level of business. And I completely agree with the idea of making things change within the vicinity that's realistic. You know, there's no point in developing your brand as a startup and say, I'm going to change the world one client at a time. It's great to have big, ambitious goals, but you know, you also have to have a sense of realism about what you're doing. Again, I love tying everything back to the human brand philosophy. And when we consider the things in our lives as people, you know, let's say, for example, uh, you know, like I'm a fan of David Attenborough, for example. I love David Attenborough. I love his stuff. I love his message. You know, I love documentaries just in general, but I love documentaries on the world, on the changing environment, on food today, you know, the chemicals that are in food. So from my perspective, these are things that are influencing me as a person. And I have made small changes. Me and my family have made small changes in the things that we eat and the things that we buy. Now, are we going out and saving the world? No, we're not. But clear in terms of what our belief systems are, we're clear in terms of you know the direction that we are headed, and we're kind of committed to making small changes at a time. And I think you know whether that's a person or a brand, if you want to make a difference, then start from within. You don't have to kind of put a flag in the ground and say, we're going to do this. But if this is what you believe, then adopt that as a value into who you believe, and then use those values to kind of dictate your actions. So how brands use that, be clear about you know what you believe as a brand, be clear about what's important to you in the way you do business, and then use those values, not as a page on your website saying, here are our values. Use those as a guide for the decisions and actions that you take in terms of you know your business policies, your supply chain, the way you put your messages out there into the market. So, you know, these are small ways that we can use to be very, very clear on the type of brand that we want to be, be very, very clear on the principles that are important to us in the way we do business, and then be very clear on turning those principles into behaviors so that we start to build a reputation in the market and we start to bring our brand in the direction that we want to go based on what we believe. So, you know, at the very core level, if that's all you do, then you're still going to have a brand that you really believe in from an internal perspective. And again, as a person, if that's what you have, if you have that self-esteem and that confidence in direction, then that's all you need. You head in that direction and then chances are over time, more and more people are going to start to see that through who you are, through what you say and through what you do. And I think Again, if you're able to kind of adopt that philosophy as your brand, to know who you are, know what you're committed to, and then follow through on what you say you're going to do, then you have the foundations for a solid brand that's really built from a position of stability that can then go on and grow. Yeah, definitely. And so in terms of a few points for the listeners to, if they're thinking about their brand, they're thinking about changing or developing their brand further, what are some points that would really help them to get off to a good start? Well, I suppose the question would be, 
where are you now? And have you skipped a few steps? Because whether I'm branding a completely new brand or doing a rebranding project, I start with who the customer is. And a lot of time goes into that. You know, there's an overemphasis on time when it comes to understanding who the audience is, what they want, what they already have as an option in the market, what your competitors are putting out there. And then, you know, to look for those gaps and those nuggets of gold. So anybody who has a brand at the moment, for sure, there will be a lot of businesses out there that have a logo and that have a website, but they couldn't really tell you where the copy on their website has come from. What is the strategy behind the messaging that they're putting out there behind their social media messages, even behind their advertising or the personality that is weaved throughout all of that messaging. And if that's where you are as an entrepreneur, as a, a business owner, then I would say take a step back and start with who your customer is. Get crystal clear on who that customer is. And if you feel that that customer is not just one customer, maybe it's two or three different, very specific types of people, then they're the market segments that you're going after within your market. Really illuminate them and get crystal clear on, on who they are. And then get crystal clear on the reason that you're going to give them to choose your brand over your competitors. And this is something that I see time and again with business owners. If you ask them, what's the reason I'm going to choose you over your competitors? They do not have an answer for you. You know, they believe that their product or their service speaks for itself or sells itself. It doesn't. Products and services, you could have the best product in the world, but if you don't know how to position that product, if you don't know how to send messages out into the market in the right way to connect with the right people about that product, then chances are your product won't see the light of day. So, you know, it really is about becoming clear on the position that you're taking in the market, the reason that you're going to give your audience to choose you over them, and then amplifying that message through human connection and personality. So that is essentially my philosophy when it comes to brand strategy and pretty much where I start every project with. Definitely, yeah. Audience is yeah, so important to get that right because obviously that's where the brand's going to be living in their mind and how you're going to speak to them. So it's been really good having you on. It's been such a, a really good episode to talk to you and actually get a chance to speak to you. I've been a fan of your content for a long time and I think what you put out is great. And I think the Brand Master Academy is awesome. Lots of really good tools in there and frameworks to use. Where's a good place to find you online? Is there anything else that's coming down the pipeline? And also, yeah, a bit more about your podcast and, and what you do. Yeah. So um, the best place to find me is brandmasteracademy.com or brandmasteracademy on YouTube. You know, brandmasteracademy.com. You'll also find the link to the podcast and the podcast, Brandmaster Podcast. It's, you know, on Spotify. So the, pretty much if you type Brandmaster Academy into any keyboard you can find, you'll pretty much come across me. In terms of what's coming down the pipeline, of course, Brandmaster Academy has a lot of flagship programs and tools. You know, we're kind of moving into this new area where there's going to be a big focus on the community and kind of getting people behind the curtain with access to a lot of things, but also access to other strategists and, and, and our community and kind of get togethers and discussions and coaching to kind of walk through the brand building process step by step and kind of walk through the agency building process step by step as well. So we can kind of take all of those steps together. So that's what's coming in the future. But yeah, if you are new to, to brand strategy and you, you want to start finding out the biggest principles that you need or where you need to start, as I said, brandmasteracademy.com and, uh, and you'll be well on your way. Brilliant. 
Yeah, thanks very much. I'll put all the links in the show notes. It's been really good having you on. It'd be good to do another one. Absolute pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me. No worries.